You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Sit on down at the 9-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. Welcome in to 30 Minutes of Socks for fans, by fans. And I am listening to so much, Ed, that is coming out of spring training already. Pitchers and catchers have reported some interesting things being said by the manager, the general manager, people who are around the team already. We're going to get into that. George Offman is going to be joining us as well to talk White Sox. That's a big surprise here today. He just reached out to me yesterday and he said he loved the show. And I'm like, George, come on the show. So we're going to talk with a guy who was around before Jerry Reinsdorf purchased the team covering Chicago sports yeah. and was around before Tony Larusa was ever a manager covering Chicago sports. He's got 47 years in terrestrial professional radio in Chicago. And when do you get a chance to pick a mind like that while looking at the end, really, for these two guys? You got an owner that's getting on an age, and this may be the last great run with this team that he gets. And you've got a manager who was retired, became a Hall of Famer baseball person. A legit Hall of Fame baseball person. (laughs) And now is back and ready for his final run as well. So that's going to be really interesting. If you're listening to things, I hope you're listening to Family Waterproofing Solutions on the other end of the line this week. Listen, it looks bad on Tuesday. It's going to be 40 degrees. The snow is all going to melt. Like three weeks of snowstorms are going to melt within a one-day period. And then it's going to thunderstorm right after that. Like, if you don't have your boat ready, you need to go get prepared, all right? And if you have seepage or if you're not sure about that sump pump or any other issues with your foundation, check on it before things go bad next week because it's going to go bad. I'm sorry to tell you that. Water's got to go somewhere, man. Water's got to go somewhere. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be like, I'm already planning my Tuesday. Like, I'm just going to kind of pay attention to what's going on. I, I feel good, though, because they've been over here before. So I feel pretty safe pretty secure. You might not feel that way. The phone number is right there on the logo for Socks in the Basement. Grab it there. Most of the show notes, depending on the podcast player that you're using, you can click on the name Family Waterproofing Solutions when you're reading about the show. Takes you right to the page. Or just go to FAMWS.com. Ken's a vet. He and his wife run the place. They give a portion of the proceeds to first responders and veteran organizations, and they will take some money off. They've got deals for Socks in the Basement listeners, so mention us. FAMWS.com, Family Waterproofing Solutions, the proud sponsor of Socks in the Basement. All right. You also have an article that you wrote. I did. And so before we get to George and before we get to the fact that I filled out my White Sox survey, because that showed up in my email, and I always love filling that out. And I feel like there's things inside of that survey (laughs) where they ask the questions of the fan base that really tell you a lot about what their concerns are their marketing plans. I mean, you may even be able to glean on how they're going to be working or not working on getting fans in the stands right off of that survey. If you haven't filled it out or you don't know what I'm talking about, we're going to get into that. There's a lot of stuff coming out of spring training, but part two of your Pakoda can suck an egg series. Yes. In which you couldn't put, you couldn't bring yourself to put a picture of the Minnesota twins 
So you put a Twinkie hot dog as the headline picture to your blog, Mismatch Socks, the extra socks in the basement. Find it through the link on SocksInTheBasement.com. Tell me what you examined here in this thing. Just give me an overview. Well, first of all, it's a picture of the Twinkie Wiener sandwich from the Weird Al Yankovic classic movie UHF. So if if you've never tried one, I suggest it. Anyway, um, <laughs> what I'm doing is, as you know, Pakoda put the Sox third in the AL Central. They said they're going to be a 500 team, which locks them out of the playoffs pretty much. Uh, so I'm looking at the AL contenders, and this week it's the Twins, or this blog in particular, it's the Twins. And what I'm doing is I'm just going position by position. So the rotation, the bullpen, and then all through the lineup, right? What I'm looking at is from a talent standpoint, from a projection standpoint, from a strength of who they are standpoint – how do they stack up and what makes Pakoda think that this is going to happen? So, you know, in this case, for example, the twins have some advantages, you know, and they've got some stuff where they're tied. Like for example, I, I can't really pick between Yohan Moncada and Josh Donaldson if they're both hitting. See, I could, I read the thing and I was like, I love yo-yo. I've got a yo-yo I do, jersey. I do too. But Josh Donaldson is the truth. And until yes. Moncada comes out and shows that 2019 is normal Yohan Moncada, if somebody asked me today which guy I'd want at third base for one season this year, I'd probably pick Donaldson. And I know people are going to be mad at me for saying that, but I'm surprised that you were like, pick him in that part of the article. Well, yeah, and, and it's it's because I'm assuming that 2019 Yohan is, is, is 2021 Yohan uh, and that COVID really killed him. And then, you know, the, the struggles that he had in 17 and 18 are related to being out of position, are related to getting used to the league, things like that. But I don't know what Pakoda's doing because I'm looking at this thing. And uh, when I went against the Indians in the first round of this, it was, you know, the Sox crushed the Indians at every single position, except maybe in the starting rotation where the Indians are stacked. And even here, it might be close in the rotation, but are you telling me that you're going to take Jose Barrios, Kenta Maeda, who one good season out of Maeda, Michael Pineda, who is not great, Hap and Matt Shoemaker. Shoemaker's made out of sponge sugar, right? So, there's a pretty good chance that he's going to walk out to the mound on his first start and just shatter into a million pieces and never be seen again. I, I look at it and you basically take the White Sox over to Twins at every position. And what's funny, though, is that I disagree with one of the few times you put the Twins over to White Sox. Which one? I, I disagree at second base. I, I Look, I, we both play fantasy baseball, right? Yes. And all fantasy baseball is breaking down stats, especially offensive stats. I had Luis Arias and Nick Mandrigal, both in my fantasy, my dynasty team, on my roster last year. I waved Arias. So did I. That's how you got him, because I waved him first. He was in the way. Right. I, yeah, <laughs> you waved him, then I had him, and I was like, no, Mandrigal, better long-term, better now. I've done an awful lot of just looking at his stats and his trends, because I take this very seriously, because as we all know, I'm a fantasy baseball god who's won three out of the last four years in our in our league which is highly competitive. Uh, well, yeah, I am. I am, Ed, and there's nothing you can say about it. There, you, you won, there's nothing you won I can one say about title, it and I won three in that league. There's nothing I can say about it that you didn't say for yourself this morning in the league feed, so. Well, I was just doing a scouting report. That's all it was. I've yes. been doing a scouting report for every team in our fantasy league, and I wrote, I thought, a very honest uh, you know, breakdown of my team going into the 2021 season winning three out of the last four championships and being stacked. I, I don't know what your problem is. So you call is. yourself, quote, the greatest dynasty fantasy baseball team in the history of dynasty fantasy baseball. That's true. 
That's, I mean, I don't know what's untrue about that. You you run what, you run your team. Am like I supposed a to win more machine. championships? I'm sorry. What what else did I say? You run your team like a well-oiled machine, which uh, that, that, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. I do. Um, you go through a bunch of transactions you made. Those are are true things that happened. Brilliant um, transactions. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, here. Well, it's here. To be the best, you got to beat the best. In 2021, barring several injuries, that is the Black Sox, which is the name of your team. Ninja Black Sox. The Ninja Black Sox. Give, yes. it, give it the whole name there, buddy. Yes, All right. The Ninja yeah. Black Sox. The rest of the league is rooting for anyone else. Their jerk owner is just clearing room for trophy number four. That would be you being the jerk owner. <laughs> and you say, this was written, this very self-serving article was written after a few bourbons. It may have been worse, completely sober. Wow, this team is stacked. Yeah, that, all of that is true. All of that is true. The article is written after a few bourbons. And uh, when I have Yoan Moncada backing up Jose Ramirez at third base, that tells you the kind of team that I have. Yeah. All right. I mean, I, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't even know if Yo-Yo breaks into the starting lineup until midway through the season or via injury. That's how good my team is. Okay. But, you know, you guys can you guys can all hem and haw and, you know, be angry. I relish being the evil empire in that league. And I after you call yourself the evil empire, you say you're a good looking owner who, quote, can't turn it off. And that is quote. also true. That, all of that is true, Ed. Yeah. You, you know what? That. I have a journalism degree. It's hanging down here someplace. Yeah. And uh, the University of <laughs> Illinois says that I don't tell no lies. So uh, um, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to stand by that article. Yeah. Even though I don't remember most of what I wrote. What, what, what can you not turn off? Is it the is it the body odor or is it the uh, <laughs> halitosis that you can't because you can treat those? You know, I get muscle aches all the time. I've gone from being able to do whatever I want to and not feeling any pain to basically getting pain for any kind of physical activity. Good news, there's a local family-owned Southside business that provides a CBD topical that will not break the bank. Creaky Bone Balm offers concentrated relief for creaky bones. It is an effective hemp-based CBD in a rejuvenating balm. And guess what? It's made in small batches, always free of preservatives, and all natural ingredients. It's great for muscle aches, tension, inflammation, joint pain. You can even use it for skin ailments like burns and dry cracked skin. Right now, go to creakybone.com and use the promo code BASEMENT. Get 20% off your order. Whether it's physical activity or off-season stress, Creaky Bone's gonna help you out. Use that promo code BASEMENT, 20% off your order, right now at creakybone.com. Join us on the phone line for the first time. Look, this guy has been in sports media for 47 years. He's been on WGN, NPR. He's been on WBBM News Radio, WSCR The Score, and now is the current host of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a podcast that is featuring Len Casper right now and will soon have on Steve Stone. George Offman joins Socks in the Basement. How are you, George? I'm fabulous, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm excited to have you on, and and I think it's perfect timing. The Sox have started a spring training, and I was thinking to myself, like, wow, who who could I talk to to ask a few of the questions I have that would you you'd want to have like total knowledge of this regime, like that you you have to be around back in the time when the first time Larusa goes through, you know, at the beginning with Jerry Reinsdorf and George Hoffman makes perfect sense because you covered. These guys at the beginning. Yeah, 1979. I started covering in 78, and Don Kessinger was the manager. Just imagine that. 
you know, I'm I'm a teenager and watching the collapse of the Cubs with Don Kessinger as shortstop, <laughs> and now he's the manager of the White Sox, which is the strangest thing I'd ever seen before, and really a miscast manager, if there ever was one, though I think both teams have had a few miscast managers, not the least of which was Terry Bevington. And then they hired this guy nobody ever heard of, Tony La Russa, this brash, bright, 34-year-old guy who didn't take very long to develop into, as we know, a Hall of Fame manager. But, you know, players can help. And when Reinsdorf took over the team in 1981, he went out, got a couple of big-time free agents, remember, in Carlton Fisk and Greg Luzinski. Uh, they had a really strong developing pitching staff. And, you know, La Russa took the team to the playoffs in 1983. I can still see Tito Landrum's homer off of Brett, Brett Burns in my, in my vision right now. But things didn't work out because uh, Tony and Hawk Harrelson couldn't get along. And here we are 34, 35 years later, and Jerry Reinsdorf is making up for a mistake by hiring La Russa again. What is your take on La Russa now? You've heard him speak a few times. He's much older. I think there's a generation or two that are probably even younger than me, and I'm in my mid-40s, who sit there and they say, who is this old man? Uh, he hasn't managed in 10 years and this is going to be a disaster. Like, what do you say to people that, that have that reaction? Well, I mean, I could understand, you know, the, the questions about Tony and, you know, not having managed for 10 years and being 76. Um, he's as lucid as I've ever heard him. Uh, I'm not worried about that part. Whether he is able to totally connect with the players remains to be seen. That is crucial. And I mean, you've seen a few question marks from a guy like Tim Anderson, but I think they all know the man has a great track record. Uh, I mean, he comes in here carrying other heavy baggage, which was the two DUIs, the baggage of, of knowledge that Rick Hahn really didn't hire him. Kenny Williams didn't hire him. Jerry Reinsdorf did. Because Jerry said it was the biggest mistake he ever made, letting Hawk Harrelson fire him. And so this time he basically said, you know what, I want Tony LaRusso back. Now, Tony, it, while he hasn't managed in 10 years, he's not been away from the game. That's the most important aspect. He's been very involved in the game, in management situations. So he understands where the game is at. Relating to the players will be important. You have a guy in Dusty Baker at 71 who's always been a player's manager, so he relates to them. You know, Tom, Tony's coming out of the woodwork, and, you know, I'm sure that the, the players now know who he is, what he is, what his track record is, and understand that he's won World Series with the Cardinals and the A's, and he is a very smart tactician. My doubts are not so much with his age, but, well, with his age uh, mentally, but physically being able to handle the grind of the travel and still the COVID restrictions over 162 game schedule. I think that that's my concern as far as being a manager and understanding how to manage and managing a bullpen, which he's very good at. I don't have those kind of worries. And the other part of this, and I hope White Sands understand this is he's the manager. Now there's nothing you can do about it. What's going to be most important, Chris, is that the White Sox get off to a good start. They cannot afford to have a bad start. Otherwise, LaRusse is under an enormous amount of pressure. Remember, back in 1983, the White Sox got off to a 16-24 and 24 start. They were 49-49 and 49 
and they wound up winning 99 games because they could not lose a game in the second half. They were unbelievable. Well, they can't afford to do that this time. They have to get off to a reasonably good start in April, or there will be an immense amount of pressure on Tony, on Rick Hahn, on Ken Williams, and on Jerry Reinsdorf. You know, I'm kind of curious your take on this. Yesterday, I got my annual White Sox survey for those that go out and buy tickets with the team. They they send out a survey. And you, you've you been around this team. Like I said, you were around this team and covering sports in Chicago before Jerry Reinsdorf. So you've watched this entire regime here in Chicago as a member of the media. Mm-hmm. And what struck me as just mind-boggling is that, once again, it seemed like the survey that they sent to fans was not asking me what I thought about the ability of a player, was not asking me what I thought about the team's chances. It was whether or not I liked each player personally. Do I need to know more about their personal lives? Do I need to know more about like who they are? Do I need to feel like this, this connection with the team? And it almost seems like they're marketing more along the lines of, hey, we want you to think this guy's cool. We want you to see the video. We want you to we want you to enjoy the team. And the fans that say, I want to win. I don't I don't care what I hope they're all good with kids. I hope they all give the charity. I <laughs> That's what I want to assume. But I want to win. I'm looking at the stats. I'm looking at whether or not this team has the proper guy in place at DH because he's never hit above a ball. I think Andrew Vaughn's going to be good, but we've talked on the show. If he has a year like Gordon Beckham had in his first year, that would be probably acceptable for a guy that hasn't hit above a ball. And it wouldn't be the worst uh, worst year for him, and you would expect him to improve in later years. So is it wrong for me to think that that's weird? Is that how this team's always kind of operated? in which it's more of we want like the fans that are kind of loosely paying attention because the other ones might criticize us. Am I, am I way off on that? Because I'm just shocked by the survey that I read yesterday. No, I think a lot of teams are doing that. They, they want their team to be kind of cuddly, and at the same time you do want to reach out to the maybe casual fan. Look at the Cubs. The Cubs did that. They, the lucky part for them is they won right away and capitalized on those personalities with Rizzo and Bryant and Joe Madden and all the other players on the team. Uh, Now, the White Sox did have a really good season last year, albeit it was a shortened season. And so I don't think that that's something new. I, I think teams want fans to know their players, that they have personalities, that they have lives that are not only on the field, but off the field. And they hope that those lives off the field aren't going to be the type that, you know, have issues like Tony LaRusa had. So no, I'm not surprised by that, but I'm also not surprised by your reaction because the bottom line is, you know, this guy may be the greatest guy in the world, but if he hits 200, he stinks. (laughs) If he goes five and 10 with a five point ERA, he may be the nicest guy in the world, but get him out of here. So I get that. I understand that. And and yet I also understand the other side. You want to market the players. And that's something Major League Baseball, Chris, really still hasn't done well. That's market the players. And so I like the idea of that. I like the way the White Sox have marketed Tim Anderson. He's a he's a different dude. He's a he's an interesting breed of player. Um, and I think White Sox fans really like him and really like what he represents to them. 
And so I, I understand both sides of this. The, the feeling that you have is, yeah, we. I want to like the player, but I want the player to win. I get it. So, George, let's talk about uh, folks and what happens behind the scenes, their personalities, the things you don't see normally. You've got this podcast, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I, I'm fascinated by it, and I'm also really interested because uh, you just spoke with Len Casper on it. What did you glean off of Casper? I, I think a lot of White Sox fans, they know he's a good broadcaster. They've heard his reputation, but not a lot of them sat down and listened to him when he was doing Cubs games because they were Sox fans. So, you know, what, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you glean off of him? That he's honest and real, and that when he says that he left the Cubs because he wanted to do radio, there is no story behind the story. It's true. He's... Um, multi-talented he has a band now you i think people know that he loves music and he just uh releasing a cd in which he wrote all the music which was very revealing um and he talks about life growing up in mount pleasant michigan so tell me a story i don't know is about stories of sports personalities around the country and in chicago that has they have a connection to chicago Len is one of them, obviously Steve Stone. We've had Bob Costas and Eddie Olchek. We're going to have Chuck Swirsky. Uh, Sarah Kustak is coming up soon. I'm already doing interviews for the next season, which will begin in May with people like Rick Tellender, Kevin Harlan, Gene Honda, a whole bunch of people. So, um, And it's revealing because they talk about things that maybe you've never heard before, and they're telling you stories you've never heard before. So I think it's a really good uh, listen, and I hope people do download it, and I hope that they subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. You will really enjoy it, and particularly this one with Len Casper. Awesome, George. I, look, I really appreciate you jumping on. Uh, good stuff. I I, uh, I like getting your perspective. To have somebody who's able to look back at it and then evaluate what's going on now, it's a real treat. And uh, I checked out your podcast. It sounds great. Check out George on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, available on pretty much all the podcast locations. And, and George Offman, thanks for joining us on Socks in the Basement. My pleasure, Chris. Anytime. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boots specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. All right, so I mentioned when we were talking to George Offman right there, about this survey that the White Sox sent out this week. I don't know if they it, they put it out in little groups. I don't know if not everybody's gotten it yet. It showed up in my email as somebody who buys tickets from them. And there were some interesting questions. First off, the one that I mentioned, or, or the ones that I mentioned, where it seems like they're focusing on, do you like the players personally? And yet there's no questions on whether or not I think they went out and got the right players, or that we have the right team 
Right. Or if they should have made another move. Like, none of that stuff is asked. Because they know the answer to that. They know what people oh, yeah, are going to say. <laughs> when they said, do you have any other comments? Trust me, I wrote a book. But the, the, the nobody will read it. Nobody cares. Okay. Yeah. But the, the other interesting thing was a series of questions about the pandemic and people being in the ballpark. And there's a, several questions in there that are asking in different ways, are you going to show up? When do you think you're going to show up if you're not ready right now? Are you upset if there are people in the stands? Would it bother you to see us put people in the stands? And, and questions along those lines. And I am convinced after reading it that that was put in there as a measuring stick, not only to find out are people going to show up, is it worth it to complain if they run into some kind of issue where the city or the state won't let them have a certain percentage of people in starting opening day. But they're also trying to figure out that if they vocally start to complain about it, will they alienate fans because a vast majority of them would be like, no, you shouldn't have anybody in there. Or are they going to have a majority of fans saying, yeah, open it up. They're trying to take the temperature right now of their fan base, which I find to be fascinating as to how they're going to play it publicly. Which is actually smart of them, if you think about it. I, I, I mean, I, I don't fault them for that for a second, because if you are going to go out and try and fight Cook County government, try and fight the city of Chicago about restrictions due to the pandemic. And, you know, we've already seen where the city and the county will deviate even from what the governor says in Illinois about what should or could be done. So if I'm Jerry Reinsdorf, if I'm the White Sox organization and I'm going to go to bat and openly say, I want fans in the stands, I don't want to be made a fool of if nobody then shows up. Right. But we know the one thing I think the the Sox know, and I think that that as fans, we all know, is, is that we want to go to the games and we're excited to see this team and we're excited to see them in person. This is a it's a tricky subject, but I'm telling you, I think that they can get people in there. I don't want to sit on this for way too long. I want to talk about some of the things that are coming out of of camp. I find one of the more interesting things that I'm hearing so far is discussion about how Garrett Crochet and Michael Kopech are going to be used. We had heard that Kopech is likely going to have every opportunity to break camp with the team as a starter, but that they also want to limit his innings and keep him going all year. Then we hear the whole description originally that Crochet is going to be in the bullpen, but they eventually want to make him a starter. As I peel back the onion on comments made by Rick Hahn, Tony La Russa, you know, people that are in and around camp just this week, as pitchers and catchers reported, I'm starting to feel like the White Sox may be looking at those two guys, like how the Dodgers deal with their fifth starter spot, where you could have Tony Goslin and uh, Urias and, uh, and, and May, those three guys, and they try to control their innings because they're young. And let's say that one of them is a starter, and the next time around, another one is the starter. And in, to keep them fresh, each of them take turns in the bullpen as well. Like, you could see the White Sox say, we want Michael Kopech to be a starter, but every third time, uh, we're going to have him just basically come out of the bullpen in a situation and 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 ease up on that arm, and we can always just rotate Crochet in. Or Rodon makes the team as a swingman. But I don't think there's a set five-man rotation breaking camp. I think the, the plan they have is the big three of Giolito, Lynn, and Keuchel, and then the hope that... Dylan Cease walks in and Ethan Katz is sprinkled fairy dust on him. And you're like, yep, that's the fourth starter. And then the other spot 
wherever it lines up, maybe it's in the four spot and Cease is in the five spot, but that spot, that 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 last spot in the rotation is going to be a mixture all year long to keep these guys fresh so that they can use them at the beginning of the year and still have them available come October. Yeah, there, there's first of all, I think league-wide, what I'm reading is that every team is in some way, shape, or form talking about how to monitor innings for their starters, whether they're veterans or young guys, because last year was such a weird start, spring training, stop, get into the season. There were so many guys that were hurt that they're looking at these guys and going, okay, well, we got we to gotta make sure we monitor it. So you're hearing about six-man rotations, things like that. But for the Sox, you know, one of the things that's going on with Kopech is even though the major league season is going to start on time, it, there's still questions about when the minor league season is going to start. So if there's any kind of a delay there for Charlotte to start versus, uh, you know, when the Sox start their season, you don't want Kopech sitting around and not doing anything. So they, they well, want he'd him. be doing something. He'd be in some place where they would let him throw. I well, mean, they'd I, find I, a place for him to throw, no, but, but he wouldn't have game action. I, I, but be. that's what they need him to do is they need him to get back to game. He's had two years of, of hanging around throwing. You know, I mean, that's that's his arm is in shape. The question is the game inning, you know, the, the game time stuff in the innings there. But I, I, I could see them doing exactly what you're saying and rotating him in and out. And that fifth starter spot, too, is, especially in the early going of the season, that's the starter that gets skipped all the time. Right. So when you have games that are delayed by weather, uh, which happens a lot in the spring, when you have, you know, these these early days off, they skip that fifth starter. So. Even if Kopech makes it, I think he's the one that gets skipped every single time out, unless you have, like, Keuchel or Lynn tells LaRusa, hey, I need a day. Tony can't stop talking about Kopech. Like, everybody's there. And he called, he basically said, like, you know, Lucas Giolito's the complete package. Yeah. But everybody's there. He can't, he's basically running to every microphone he can find to tell you how great Michael Kopech looks. This is a concerted team effort, not only to assure the fan base, we didn't need to go get another pitcher. But he's ready and looks great. They're not out there saying that if they're thinking about putting him, you know, in the minors. No. They wouldn't be sitting there on the first day saying that kind of stuff. They'd be sitting there saying, well, let's see how he works out. They're almost they're almost running to anybody with a microphone and trying to tell you how awesome he looks. Which you hope is legitimately Tony LaRussa saying, this is my first impression of my new team, that he hasn't really been around. He hasn't seen Kopech in person, and he's just looking at him going, holy cow, look at this guy. Or it's a concerted effort to spin it in the press and say, no, don't worry, Michael Kopech's going to be fine. But they are going to have to watch his innings. They're going to have to watch his usage. He's going to be on a short leash. That's where Crochet comes in potentially as a multi-inning pitcher as opposed to a one-inning pitcher, which you and I talked about the other day, that you know he could end up getting used as a guy that is ramping up to being a starter by essentially being a middle reliever and then being in some high leverage situations as well. I think it could be the star. I think that Garrett Crochet could actually fall into the starting rotation in the back half of the year, especially if they need somebody. Oh, like, absolutely. I really think that's possible. I really think that they're, they're not saying like he's definitely in the pen all year when they're saying what they're saying. I don't think he's automatically in the pen from the start of the year to the end of the year. He is. No, I don't think he spends the whole year in the pen. I think he's a guy, though, that they're going to try and stretch into multi-inning, a multi-inning guy with the hope that they can get him up to five innings down the stretch if they need him to as a starter and then rely on the bullpen to, to come in and pick up slack for him. And I think Kopech's going to be the same way. I don't think you're going to see Michael Kopech get out of the fifth inning very often unless he's on a super low pitch count and has just been extremely efficient. I do find it interesting, though, when you try to put the timeline together that right around the time we started hearing Garrett Crochet definitely going into the bullpen was shortly thereafter uh, Jace Fry had a surgery. Yeah. And we didn't know about it 
But if you look at when he had it in January, in early January, that's around the time when you started hearing, oh no, Crochet's going with the team. Because that was up for debate. And then all of a sudden that debate was ended. So, I mean, there's a, yeah. there's a reason he's in the bullpen. They just weren't telling you it's because they lost a left-handed reliever. And, until probably May is, is when Fry is getting back. And, and that could also explain the decision to bring back Rodon. Because if you view Rodon as being potentially Jace Fry or Jace Fry equivalent or better than Jace Fry in the role that he was going to fill... Well, then, okay, you know, again, it goes back to picking up a devil you know versus somebody you don't. And, you know, I, I beat the horse dead on, you know, all sorts of options that might have been better than Carlos Rodon. But you're going to see, I think you're right, though, you're going to see this happen. And what they're hoping for, I think, really out of out of anything else with the rotation is, one, good health for the top three. And two, I think they're really hoping, and I, I'm basing this a little bit on even what Yosemite Grandal said about Dylan Cease, about, you know, if we can get him there, you know, he's this great talent because I think they're really hoping that Cease takes that next step the way Giolito did and solidifies that first four in the rotation so that they really only have one spot that they have to worry about using the bullpen for. And they're going to treat it like the Rays and they're going to treat it like the Dodgers and they're going to rotate guys through there, like you said, and you're going to get short starts from Kopech, who we all expect to be an ace, but you're going to get you know, three and a third out of him some days and you're going to get, you know, maybe he'll get to, you know, he'll get through the fifth uh, before you're going to see Crochet or you're going to see somebody else coming in behind him. Remember, Socks in the Basement Fest is going to be a Blue Island Beer Company on March the 20th. Circle the date. Next week, we will have information and be able to announce when you're going to be able to start purchasing tickets for that event and what the ticket will include with it. Because you're basically getting your money back the moment you walk back in the door. Uh, This is just a way for us to reserve enough spots because of all the different regulations and to keep things safe and also very, very fun. And we're going to start announcing all the people that are scheduled to appear. So we're excited to be doing that next week. I can announce one person already. Who? You. You're going to be there. Oh. (laughs) You're not even announcing yourself? Like... Well, (laughs) announcing myself would be self-serving. I don't do that. Self-serving like a guy that writes an entire article at midnight about how great his fantasy baseball team is for the league? Yeah, well, you know, just because you've got an attractive co-host who can't turn it off. Because I'm the best, Ed. I'm the best. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.